All right, you bastards. Today's Robbie Barron's day. I met a bunny lass. So uh, I went for a walk, had a coffee. And just before I heard uh, a song, something about aromancy, something about looking up at the sky and the clouds and shit. And this was a seed for a thought. And I don't know why, but it got me thinking about framing and naming things. And when we frame and name something, we artificially pluck that concept uh, out of its true uh, and absolute context, its true meaning, its, its uh, universal, what it's from. We, we, we get a, an artificially small uh, model. What we're doing is we're making a small model out of the construct of reality. We are pulling a, uh, a fragment out of its complete context. The fringes of this concept are, uh, they're not so defined in objective reality. There are two words we need to review here, noumenon and phenomenon. <laughs> so the definition of uh, phenomenon I'm referring to is something that is perceptible, something that we can perceive, not just something that we could see or hear, but something that we can perceive. Now, noumenon is the, uh, the opposite. It is something that we don't perceive. Uh, there's more nuance, but this is good enough for this podcast. So some people might say that, uh, noumena are, uh, simply things that exist independently of any human sense. I interpret that to mean things that aren't perceived and are not yet perceived or, or are not yet perceived. So if you perceive something, uh, obviously it's a phenomenon. And if you don't perceive something, it is a noumenon. Now this goes to thinking that doesn't mean that you can't perceive it. It just means you haven't perceived it. So this gets into the whole concept of subjectivity. So I include in my, uh, discourse things, uh, beyond our standard senses that include the idea of ideas, the concept of concepts, uh, the schema of schemas, abstract thoughts as phenomena. So something that you can think of is a phenomenon, not just something that you could see or hear, but just a concept, an abstract concept you come up with is a phenomenon. They're pulled out of the ether of the noumena, uh, when first thought. <laughs> so our epiphanies are, uh, noumena or, or they're phenomena, but they're pulled out of the, the noumena. So they are, they were noumena and we yanked them out of the unknown and made them phenomena. So this makes noumena relative to the individual. If an idea is known or was known to someone and you do not know it yet or ever, it is a noumena to you until you discover it or shown it, uh, come across it, whatever. So it's easy to, uh, it's just the unknown, right? For the individual. This is easy to think of in terms of all, 
the ancient technology and devices from past civilizations that were developed and have been lost to time. Uh, things like there's the Antikytherian mechanism. Uh, it took like three generations of researchers to study this thing to figure out what it is and how it works. That is incredible how long it took for us to reverse engineer this thing that was found in the bottom of the Mediterranean, whatever, a uh, couple hundred years ago or 100 years ago, 150 years, whatever it was. Maybe more, I don't know. Uh, but from a period that was thousands of years old, maybe a 1500, I'm not sure exactly, but it's very, very old. And you think of that one thing that we happened across has all that technology that we didn't know about, this pneumononical <laughs> technology, right? So what else is there out there that we don't know that was discovered and has since been lost? Obviously tons. That There could have been fairly advanced societies that have come and gone. All these boneheads think that our, uh, our uh, civilization is only 5,000 years old. And, uh, of course the, the, if you, if you look at evidence right now, especially with Gobekli Tepe and the, the erosion of the Sphinx, uh, it's clear that, uh, at least, uh, tech society goes back 10,000 or older. And if humans, they figure modern humans have been around for 300,000 years, then I would venture to guess that there have been massive societies that have come and gone. And perhaps the sands of the deserts and the bottom of the ocean are all that remain of these ancient civilizations. Never mind the, the concepts and knowledge, technology, things that the, the noumena that are now noumena that were phenomena that were observed. This goes to consciousness as well. You think in order for something to be a phenomenon, it has to uh, have consciousness perceiving it. Otherwise it doesn't exist, right? It's, it's, it's perception and perception requires consciousness. So if a person is a non-player character, they cannot perceive phenomena because they do not perceive. They're just an NPC. And I am fully, uh, of the mind that many people out there are NPCs. I don't know for sure. Who knows, right? Uh, you think of Descartes, perhaps uh, there's only a few of us. Perhaps there's only one. Perhaps there's thousands. Perhaps we all are. Who knows? But I'm not going to split hairs about whether an idea um, exists uh, before someone perceives it uh, or, or after it's forgotten. Is it stored in some great universal hard drive of possibility? Where's consciousness stored, right? So now we go to the materialist concepts of mind and all this other shit. That, it's going too sideways, right? But if someone thinks of a great idea and then, and then we forget it, right? So does that idea still exist in some dimension of mind? Some somewhere, you know, perhaps... That's a path for another day for us to explore. Maybe we should explore it now. I don't know, but uh, I would argue that noumena do not exist uh, in, uh, in solely in, in a person's mind. I think they exist in some form of objective reality, some dimension that we do not directly perceive as the mechanism of the universe has to be stored somewhere, and yet we do not yet see it, right? Where is the algorithm of natural selection stored? 
we, we don't perceive the algorithm of natural selection directly. We only perceive its output, its results. But the black box of natural selection is a noumenon to us. We do not perceive it directly. We just perceive the results, not the machinery. We, uh, we may interpret this as, oh, that's just the way it is, which is a very uh, caveman mode uh, of thinking, a caveman way of thinking, right? That's just the way it is, right? Uh, why does the earth go around the sun? Uh, that's just the way it is, right? It's, it's not just the way it is. There's obviously a lot more things going on behind the scenes. Uh, gravity. What is gravity, right? That's why we go around the sun, right? That's a part of the reason why, right? What is it? It's a warping of space-time, right? Who knows? That's just what we say. That's just the model that we're using right now. But, uh, you know, is, is Numenon just the unknown? Uh, does that include all that is false as well? So uh, knowledge can be either true or false, or depending on how complex the idea is, so the concept of that for that knowledge, it could be a mixture of true and false. It could be this part's true, this part's false. You got this part right, but you got that part wrong, right? This is we've all experienced this, right? So noumena could also be that. Then it could also be uh, the concept of uh, or false concepts true concepts, or a mixture of these concepts. The unknown may include that which is not true, right? Um, if, you, if you look at a math problem and you don't know the answer, that answer, as well as all the wrong answers, are noumena until we perceive them. So we could try to frame and name the concept of noumena and narrow its definition like uh, all things we define, but we are making an artificial construct, an artificial limitation of reality by framing one portion of it as noumena. And there may be many branches uh, related or part of noumena, and we are only choosing one branch. Or it might be more of a fog type thing, right? We're only looking at this one portion of the forest. We're only looking at one leaf, and we're ignoring the entire forest. It's like, it's like taking a photograph. Uh, we are taking a tiny, we're recording a tiny fragment of reality. We're framing it literally in, in an artificial construct and defining it as whatever that photograph is. So to our, our words, they are tiny fragments of, uh, of reality where we are... Uh, of our, it's not just a reality, I guess it is, but it's of the great... Uh, omniscient knowledge, right, of, of the, the universal, whatever that is, right, the, whatever that knowledge is that uh, likely exists beyond our perception as some uh, noumenonical thing, right, it's, it's the great unknown, right, which is stored in the great hard drive in the sky, <laughs> right, or wherever it is stored, right? Uh, is the unknown stored somewhere? Maybe it's not. I don't know. But uh, you think of our words are small fragments of concepts, building blocks of concepts, but they are in fact themselves concepts. So they're not full-blown concepts. I guess it depends on how you define a concept, right? So I would say they are um, 
maybe many concepts. So there, there are many schemata, there are many schemas, uh, many schema as an individual. So an individual idea or word is a, is a many schema. The words are many schemata. Uh, they are schemelas. They are schematas, schemati, schemati, uh, schematic, schematiculus. Right? You're trying to think of things that are small. They're like a molecule. They're schematicules. Maybe they're schematikins or schematolings or schematos. <laughs> or you think of pigs, small pigs or piglets. So maybe they're uh, schemelets. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the fact that someone knows something that is unknown to someone else or a noumenon to that person, to the other person, proves noumena exist regardless of our perceiving them. Because the person who doesn't know it, who isn't perceiving it, uh, proves that it's, right, it's beyond their perception currently, uh, and then another person does perceive it, so it does exist in this universe somewhere, right? Could just be in their mind or perhaps in some weird, who knows, woo-woo crap. I don't know. I could be using uh, crap, lowbrow logic trying to figure this out. But uh, for now, it's going to uh, it's gonna have to fit, right? So noumena is a concept, as a concept, is clearly a relative phenomenon. Uh, while the concept I'm cutting out uh, regarding it is a constant. Its output is unique to the in individual. So uh, noumenon is a phenomenon that is pretty meta. So I know I'm probably losing somebody <laughs> by saying this. So we could perceive the concept of noumenon while at the same time realize that we can't perceive the thing itself as that is how we defined it. So we cannot define. It is by definition something that we can't perceive. But the concept of it, we can perceive. You see, you follow, right? It simply uh, represents the unknown, things that we have not yet perceived or perhaps never will. Uh, as the unknown is possibly infinite and may not be possible for us to fully uh, discover. It is relative to each person as each person knows different things and therefore has different unknowns. Given that we hardly know anything in the scope of the universe, assuming that it is infinite, right? It would make more sense to talk about what we do know or what we do perceive, which is what we normally do. And probably why this discourse sounds so unusual. And perhaps, um, well, I'll hold it there. We don't, uh, or I normally don't talk about what I don't know. <laughs> Some may argue they're different. You know, maybe I do. Uh, maybe I'm talking about things that I have no clue about. Maybe we all do that, but let me rephrase. I don't normally talk about what I don't know. I usually talk about what I think I know. Perhaps this is what we all do. We all talk about what we think we know. Maybe none of us know anything. Maybe we all think we know things that we don't know. We just have placeholders and we think these placeholders are true and accurate when in fact, everything we know may be false. Everything everybody knows may be false, right? So Emmanuel uh, Kant talked about uh, Numenon. I don't remember reading Kant. I might have. Uh, I have a feeling I don't like the guy. 
So I probably did read him. <laughs> I don't, but I can't specifically remember reading it. So I don't even remember where I first heard about Numenon, but I do remember thinking, wow, that is a different concept. Numenon, the, the unknown. And if Kant was the guy that wrote about it, for some reason my brain is making this connection, then probably I did read it, even though I don't specifically remember it being Kant. It's irrelevant, I guess, but uh, <clears throat> whatever. I remember thinking that whoever wrote it uh, the concept or, or what I was reading, this concept of Numenon was giving a narrow uh, perspective, a narrow view of it. The The scope was limited. And uh, and I understand because the Numenon is a, as a concept is a slippery fish, right? You start getting very uh, meta when you start talking about concepts and, uh, well, yeah, Numenon. So... I have a feeling that this, the concept of Numenon is way more complex than what my caveman mind is currently mustering uh, for this discourse. Uh, but my point is when we frame and name a concept, like when we take a photo, we are not giving the complete picture. So even regardless of how I frame it and name it, it is not going to be a 100% accurate representation of the concept as it blends off into, I might be losing people, so I'll just, so a photo doesn't show time passing. What I'm trying to say is it's a two-dimensional representation of a three-dimensional world, a four-dimensional world, because it, it doesn't include time. A video would include time, but a photograph just includes the two dimensions and of uh, width, but it also includes the dimension of color and, 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 uh, and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, doesn't matter. It, it has other other uh, dimensions, uh, color. Uh, what's the word? Contrast. That was the word. Contrast. So, uh, anyways, we're not giving the complete picture. Uh, we're uh, within the frame. You know, um, uh, there's a limit also to the the resolution as well as to what, how we've limited uh, the framing, right? And then we take a picture, we can choose the scope, right? We are taking a, uh, we could take a super wide landscape or we could take a, uh, you know, a medium headshot, sort of like what you're seeing now. Uh, this is like a, this is technically, I think, uh, this is a, a close up. And then you get the head and shoulder shot, which is, you know, the typical uh, close up. Uh, there's ultra close-ups. Some people vary the definitions. It doesn't matter. I'm, I'm getting sideways here again. So, and then there's also a uh, the macro, which is the opposite kind of meaning of for photography. When you zoom right in, and you can see pollen on a bee's leg, right? So the scope, the scope, there's landscape, there's uh, close-ups, and there's pollen, and and even uh, these these cons these concepts are. Uh, like the universe is much larger than whatever landscape photo you get with an 18 mil lens or whatever. You know what I mean? The universe is so much bigger than that, right? So no one image will capture the entire universe. Maybe with some future technology, we'll be able to, uh, but I currently, that's beyond my, my brain. So the universe is much larger than the landscape shot that we took, obviously. I don't need to explain that. 
as well as it's much smaller than the pollen on a bee's legs, right? You get down to the the limits of how small something is. We say uh, there's a the limit is the plank length, uh, based on the math that we we know that we've discovered, uh, that we've created, which may not be accurate. It might be accurate within the limits of a, the model that we are basing it on, but there may be limits beyond that that we are unaware of. Uh, or, or it may be unlimited. We don't know how small the smallest is. Just our theory today says the Planck length. But anyways, my point is that the universe is has much smaller uh, bits than the pollen on a bee's legs. So when you take a photograph, of course, it's bigger. So my point is that we're, we're, we're limiting. I'm, I'm flogging a horse here. I think I think you get it though, right? So if we if we know something is there, but we do not directly perceive it, is it still a noumenon? Is it unknown? Even though we think we know it's there, right? We don't know for sure, but we, we, we have evidence to say that it's there. Is it a noumenon? Is it unperceived? Are, are um, indicators of something being there proof that it's there, right? It's, it's, it's our perception. We are believing it's there, but that doesn't mean it's there, right? Uh, uh, pollen in the air, right? You, you don't see the pollen, Sometimes you can if you shake a tree branch, but if it's just in the air and you don't see it, uh, but you get allergic reaction, you know, starts running, uh, you know, it's that time of year, you know, you react to those certain trees and you're near those certain trees and it's windy, right? So you, you're basing all these, this bits of evidence, uh, to indicate to you that there's pollen in the air. It may be something else that there may be another allergen that is triggering it, but your evidence is pointing you heuristically to think that that pollen is there. So is that pollen actually a noumenon? Is it perceptible? We're just perceiving the effects, the output of it. So is it, is it, an, is it a phenomenon? Pollen, right? We know it's there once we've captured it and look at it through a microscope, but if it's just in the air, we're guessing that it's there based on the evidence, right? So is it a noumenon or is it a phenomenon? I don't know. I would say it's a noumenon. We can deduce, um, we can deduce things are there, uh, but um, they may not be, right? It, it might be wrong. So just as natural selection is survival of the fittest, the allergic reaction, we don't yet have a device to directly see natural selection. We only see, we don't see the machinery that causes the survival of the fittest. We only see the output which is the, uh, the evolution of the adaptable forms of life, the, the, the moths that camouflage themselves to the soot on the smokestacks or the, the, the birds that camouflage themselves or the, the eels that happen to uh, use sharks as their uh, big buddies or whatever it is. We don't perceive the algorithm itself. So by phenomena, I mean something we can perceive, not just observe. Perception is how our brain processes the observation. Perception is our interpretation of that observation. So observation and perception are two different things. So our definitions are phenomena as are the archetypes we are aware of or have defined for ourselves. Everybody may have their own versions of archetypes. I mean, you're... Your archetype of a chair may be slightly different than my archetype of a chair. So simply thinking of something new 
creating a new idea or concept for us personally puts that schema that uh, from a noumenonical, noumenon, noumenonical to the phenomenal or phenomenonical, phenomenonical, phenomenal. Uh, is this a trait that artificial intelligence can achieve? Assuming we are not AI ourselves. AI can currently make images. Uh, I'm sure AI can do a lot more than what I'm aware that it can do, but I'm aware that it makes pretty good images and it uh, it's only ever using existing algorithms uh, and, and existing images and it's using seeds to create, the seeds to start that algorithm to create an image. If you run an algorithm with the same prompt, uh, with the same seed, you will get the exact same image. So perhaps this is all we are doing uh, as our minds, as humans as well. How do we know if our seeds are truly random? What is random anyways? You know, if it just means something that's unpredictable, uh, this goes down the probability rabbit hole. We can predict uh, the probability of something, but we cannot predict the specific outcome for random things for now. But what if we pull some voodoo math out of the, uh, the great ether of Numenon and create uh, a math, an algorithm that can calculate specific outcome that uh, does that, does that creating, uh, the, does creating that math uh, and, and being able to calculate the specific outcome uh, of something that was before random, does that negate the concept of randomness? Now this would have to be for all things because you would think with the terms of random, things appear random and then we figure out how they work and then we can calculate how they work. So random isn't uh, a, a, a polarized extreme binary concept. Uh, something may perceive random to someone, uh, but the other person who is calculated may realize the, the mechanisms and be able to determine that is not being random. They may be able to predict specifically what that outcome is. This is, uh, for example, if you, not specifically, but I mean, back it up a little bit, uh, the probability of things. This is what happens with casinos. The uh, idiot schmucks that go to the casinos see it as black magic. They can't predict what the outcome will be. So they believe they have a chance of winning when the house knows they've been able to predict the outcomes on average, and they know that the house will always win on average. So the idiots that go there figure they have a better chance than what's uh, the the math predicts, whereas the house knows and the, and the casinos always win. So the math is right. But the, we can't predict the specific outcome. Now, if you count cards, you can bring, like for blackjack, you can bring your probability higher than what the house average is. And that's why counting cards works for some people. And there may be other uh, forms, other algorithms, other ways of calculating uh, that will get us more accurately. And perhaps one day we may develop, like I said, maybe some form of math that can negate all random randomness. So is then anything random? Now this is, I'm getting way off. So I'll be able to drop that for now. But so perhaps what we perceive as random is actually predictable, but it's due just 
too complex for our puny minds at present. Or perhaps it's uh, stupid simple. Stupid simple. And uh, we just haven't yet discovered or created that, that mode, that method of doing it. So it may not be more complex. It might actually be quite simple. Just we don't know it yet, right? Like tying a knot. Tying a knot is a very simple thing if you know how to tie the correct knot for the right application. But if you don't know how to do it, it's very complex. So it's all perspective and relative, right? So uh, if you think about uh, when we create a new concept, a noumenonical uh, abstract uh, from the ether, you know, we can then easily create a physical, uh, tangible thing not always if it's totally abstract, but you know, uh, we can create a, a physical, tangible thing from that concept. You know, and engineering is done all the time, right? It can be art. You, you could create a sculpture or a painting or a song. If you come up with this abstract uh, combination of notes, you've created a song, and then you could repeat that on a guitar or a piano or whatever, right? So this abstract thing can become tangible uh, in the objective reality, the perceptible People, other people will, will perceive it as well, right? So it becomes a phenomenon, a phenomena, phenomenal thing. Anyways, uh, yeah, we do this all the time. With In engineering, uh, we've the ancient engineers uh, invented the wheel or uh, you know, developed knots, and, and we use this technology, and uh, it's something from the abstract, something that didn't exist. From, it was in the noumenon, and to somebody created it. Now, it could have been more of a... Uh, uh, something that uh, sort of perceived from reality, like the wheel could have been to some caveman chipping a uh, thing to get it, the square wheel to go smoother and smoother, right? Who knows? I don't know how where it came from, but a knot I could totally picture. You get a rope, you throw it on the ground, it gets tangled, and if you look at it closely, you see all these different kinds of knots that it just formed out of random chaos, right? So here we go with the randomness again. What was causing that rope? What chaos? What pattern allowed that rope to specifically tie a figure eight knot? Like I've had, I picked up a thing and I'm like, Jesus, this is a figure eight. How did this rope randomly tie itself in a figure eight knot just from being thrown on the floor? Like it's, it's bizarre. Anyways, uh, uh, AI, if we start thinking about artificial intelligence and, uh, you know, how does it solve problems? Like we come up with engineering problems or, or we solve problems with engineering, we solve problems. Yeah. I need a knot that will do this. Right. So you go from experience to somebody showing you the ropes and you figured out how these, these things work. Right. So how does AI solve problems? Right. It, it from what I know, my limited knowledge of AI is it makes millions of attempts, uh, toward a specific goal. And then it feeds back from, uh, reality somehow, whether a program or whatever. And, uh, that, that's a, and it solves the problem, but it does it very fast. And, but I know people are trying to find other ways for AI, uh, artificial intelligence to reason. Um, anyway, so that's a, it's a valid method and I'm sure they're coming up with many other ways for AI to solve problems that I'm totally unaware of, but we haven't even, uh, yet figured out how the human mind uh, gets its thoughts. Where do we get our ideas from? So how do we expect it to make a machine that mimics something that we do not fully understand ourselves, right? So we can come up with a, 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 a what's the word? A mimic, a, uh, oh, I can't think of the word, doesn't matter. So we can come up with, uh, can we come up with a, a, an ecumenical or a universal mode of creative thought? that humans use or that 
computers use? How do we even know that humans use a universal mode of creative thought? You know, this person may use one mode of thinking, another person. In fact, I would argue that it's likely that people use different modes of thought. Obviously, we do in levels, certain levels, we use different ways of thinking because there are many different ways of figuring things out and we use different methods. But in terms of when it comes to the creative source, you know, uh, where do you come up with new ideas? Where do you come up with these things? Some people are incapable of coming up with new ideas. Is it genetic? I don't know. It's voodoo. You know, where do our abstract thoughts, our creative ideas come from? Right. We can obviously steer these ideas uh, or any concept uh, we observe or discover, and we can go down rabbit holes. But what ultimately drives this, right? It, it's consciousness. And what the fuck is that? <laughs> right? Maybe, maybe I'm looking into all of this wrong. I could be totally wrong. Thank you.